So leadership is a container word. Tons of people use the word leadership. So what are the qualifiers that you're going to add to the word leadership that tie to your specific expertise and the way that you think about leadership that is going to suddenly cause somebody to say, oh, okay, now I get what you mean. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. It's time for you to increase your influence, grow your business, and scale to freedom. Now, let's enter the lab with your host, Samantha Riley. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab. I'm super stoked to be hanging out with you here for another day and another episode. But before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about setting your business up for a successful 2020. Now, here's what I know to be true. When you have a strategy and a clear roadmap on how to implement your strategy, your business will grow super fast and you'll be creating something on purpose. Now, this may or may not resonate with you. You've noticed that there are people with way less skills than you that have more clients than you do. And you're not only feeling secretly jealous that those people are getting the results that you want to be getting in your business, but you're also secretly frustrated because you know that you've got more knowledge and experience and you know you're able to deliver high quality results. Now, the thing is, your dream business is only a few steps away and is totally achievable, but so many entrepreneurs and business owners miss the step to make it happen, and that step is positioning. You must position yourself in the market as the industry leader so that you can attract high-quality clients and opportunities. So to help you understand how to do this and to give you a jumpstart in 2020, I'm running a free five-day challenge called the Authority Positioning Project. Now, this is for you if you've been trying to grow your business for a little while, but you just can't attract your ideal clients And maybe people are confused about what you do and that's showing up by you not getting the number of clients you want and not getting referrals. Now we're starting the Authority Positioning Project on Monday the 2nd of December, but right now all you need to do is register at samanthariley.global forward slash challenge to sign up. Now not only is it free and you'll get some great ways to set up for a successful 2020, but there's also a stack of daily prizes up for grabs. Now, I promise you'll walk away with a new excitement with the opportunities available to you in 2020. So that link again to register is samanthariley.global forward slash challenge. All right, let's jump into today's episode with Michael Roderick. Michael is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messaging memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. He's also the host of the podcast Access to Anyone, which shows you how you can get to know anyone you want in business and life using time-tested relationship building principles. So let's welcome Michael Roderick into the Thought Leaders Business. Lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Michael. It's so great to have you here joining me here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, get a chance to chat. Yeah, absolutely. We should have actually hit record probably 10 minutes ago, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that we will be able to cover what we've already chatted about. For everyone that's listening, I just said to Michael, just said, I better hit record because otherwise we're going to be chatting for the next hour and we won't have recorded an episode. So what he's got to share today is super exciting. We're talking about referable brands and what causes people to share your content and refer you. 
Now, this is the piece that everyone wants to know, like why do some people share other people's content and not mine? So I'm looking forward to diving into this and talking all things relationship building. And you've been in my world for a long time. And that's why I've been, I've been asking you for years to be on the show, haven't I? <laughs> we finally got it teed up. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's the classic when you're growing a family, the... <laughs> <laughs> the amount of scheduling craziness that you have is, is sort of off the charts. I'm yeah, really excited to right. get a chance to make it work. Yeah, and the time zones don't help out either, trying to get it so that it's not the middle of my night or the middle of your night. And then <laughs> I need to give a big congratulations because I know even booked this interview in, it was on the proviso of if my wife goes into labor, I won't be on the interview. <laughs> Yeah, that was the caveat that I've sort of given for all of these. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Why don't we start off with, why don't you tell us a bit about what it is that you're currently doing and the kinds of clients that you're serving? Sure. So basically, the work that I do is help thoughtful givers become thought leaders. So there are lots of people, they're very good at helping others, they're very good at supporting others, but when it comes to their own ideas, they don't ever really think about the packaging. They don't really take the time to sort of look at themselves and say, like, how am I actually communicating my concepts and how am I getting my stuff out there? So I focus on helping them create what I call a referable brand. So a referable brand is focused on this idea of how do you take your ideas and make them really, really easy for people to share? So in essence, it's as if your ideas sort of live beyond you. So people are talking about you when you're not in the room in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. Your name is always coming up because your concepts are just being shared on a consistent basis. I love that. And one of the things we were talking about before we hit record was I think that so many entrepreneurs are challenged that they can't succinctly explain what they do. And mm -hmm. when they can't succinctly under, like, explain what they do, the person that's hearing that message can't understand. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is when we don't understand a message, we're generally not going to say, oh, tell me more about that or I don't understand because it puts us in a vulnerable position where A, we might feel like we're a bit stupid or B, we're nervous that if we ask and we still don't understand that we're going to be left with egg on our face. So we need to be able to make sure that people understand exactly what it is we do, the kinds of people that we work with straight away, immediately. And that's something that challenges so many people. Simplicity isn't simple to get there, right? Yes. And the reason for that is all throughout academics, we have been rewarded for complexity. So if you actually look at how we've been educated for years, whether you go from high school to college, et cetera, there is a constant emphasis on the idea of complexity. The more complex you make things, the more billion dollar words you use, yeah. all of these different types of things, the better you look. And as a result, what happens is we think that we've got to take things and make them really complex. We've got to sound fancy. And especially in the personal development coaching world, there's this thing I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened. And basically, everybody's using the same words. So then all of a sudden, you get like 80,000 strategists and 80,000 people using the word leadership and all of these different words, and they become container words. So now all of a sudden, people are like, like I guess I kind of understand what you do. But if you're outside of that industry, you're like, I have no idea what mm. that is. Mm. I have no idea how that works. So the initial phase of really thinking about this 
communicating your message is starting from a point of accessibility. You've got to ask, can people who are not in my industry understand what I have to say? If they can't, you're instantly behind the eight ball in terms of it being shared, even by people within your industry. That is such a good point. There is a challenge in itself, right? Because we're living and breathing this 24-7. This is our new world, the world that we've landed in with these fancy words. And anyone that's done a life coaching certification will have a bit of a giggle then. You can always tell a brand new life coach because they use the life coach words. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you just did your certification, didn't you? You're using those words. <laughs> but we all do get caught, you know, using the words that are used in our industry. So this might sound a little bit silly, but how do we know what words to use? Because it's like we're on the inside of the jar. We're not yeah. on the outside looking in. Yeah, it's that classic, a fish doesn't know it's in water, right? Yeah. It's that classic scenario. And ultimately, what we have to do is we have to identify our container words, and then we have to open up that container and look at the contents. Okay, the I'm going to jump in right there. What do you mean by container words? So leadership is a container word. Tons of people use the word leadership. So what are the qualifiers that you're going to add to the word leadership that tie to your specific expertise and the way that you think about leadership that is going to suddenly cause somebody to say, oh, okay, now I get what you mean. Mm. Well, I remember one time talking to somebody who uh, worked in the gifting space, right? He helped people on the, on the gifting side. And when he was selling to corporate, the way that he positioned it was he said he helped people with appreciative leadership. Mm -hmm. Now think about that. That instantly puts you in the mindset of, oh, this is a gift. And just by adding that little piece, it's very, very clear that he's not telling you how to lead. He's not telling you what to do. He's helping you understand how to appreciate your people. So very, very often what happens is we have these container words and we don't take the time to open it up and look at the contents. And some, for some people, leadership has its own word. So it's worth it when you are looking at your tagline, right? Or the thing that you're trying to say or the thing that you're trying to put together. It's worth it to say, if I couldn't use this word, if suddenly this word were obsolete, if suddenly this word were illegal, what word would I use? And very, very often what's going to happen is you're going to draw on who you are, right? So I don't say I help givers become thought leaders because thoughtful givers is a very, very specific concept. Mm. And it's something that's always been a big thing in, in my world. I've always thought about the idea of how do you be a thoughtful giver, somebody who takes the time to think about somebody else, somebody who takes the time to really look at how you can help a person as opposed to just somebody who's giving and just sort of throwing stuff out there is a very big difference, right? So there are ways to look at these concepts. And even when I was teaching, if I was teaching anything like relationship building oriented, so lots of people will use the, you know, would use the word networking. And for a while, one of the things that I would play around with that was particularly effective for me was I coined the term, uh, I called it web spinning instead. And the idea was that you were threading people together. So it creates an image. And I was the only person ever talking about this idea of spinning a web. And it led to very easy bite-sized pieces. So if I say to you, networking is not about climbing a ladder, it's about spinning a web. Instantly, you only think of me. You don't think of anybody else's networking advice. 
Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And thoughtful giver, you know, as you were saying that, I hadn't actually picked that up in any of your content. So that's the first time I've heard you say that. And straight away, as you were talking, I was like, that is exactly how I would describe you because you're one of the only people that I know that can very cleverly match two people that have never met in a very special way. Like the people you've connected me with are people that you're not just connecting me for no reason. There's always a reason in your introduction. I'm connecting you because, and that's what I really like about you. And and I take pride in doing the same thing. How did you come up with Thoughtful Giver? Is this something Mm -hmm. that you came up with on your own? Is this something that you brainstormed with a thesaurus? Or is this something that you needed someone else to help you with to get to that end point? Yeah, for me, it's always been, I am a language person. So I always play around with language. So I always ask myself, like when I write something, I always say, okay, well, that's interesting, but what would make it more interesting? And my background, you know, I was a Broadway producer. And one of the core things about a Broadway show is that a Broadway show lives and dies on its title. If you don't give a Broadway show the right title, it doesn't matter how good the show is because the audience has to be interested in that title. Mm -hmm. So you're always thinking about language. You're always thinking about how you're going to present those ideas and present that particular concept. Mm -hmm. So for me, anytime I'm thinking about the messaging, I'm asking myself, how am I playing with language? And this actually ties to one of the third principle in creating a referable brand, which is memory. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But one of the highest levels of things that basically like will get you to remember something is high contrast. So if I put two words together that are very, very different, you will instantly pay more attention. If I see you, I can help you do more by focusing on less you'll remember that. Not because it's any brand new concept, but because the words are in such a contrast that it'll stick in your memory. I love that. All right. So why don't we go into the framework that you teach? Because I think that's going to give context to Mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Yeah. So basically the framework follows three principles, accessibility, influence, and memory. And it's easy to remember because it spells the word aim. And that's really what you have to have. If you're trying to develop any kind of piece of thought leadership without aim, you're not going to hit your target, right? It's not going to. So from an accessibility standpoint, the very first question is always this question of can people outside of your industry understand it? Can people who are not in the industry get what it is that you do, what, what it is that you're trying to communicate, what it is that you're trying to put out into the world? Now, the thing is, there are core principles, needs, desires that we all have, and you can craft language around any offering tied to these principles. I'm going to share both of these principles for you. So the first is what I call the TCM index. The TCM index is that every single individual has an index of time, connections, and money. No matter what industry you're in, no matter what work you're doing, time, connections, and money matter to you in some capacity. Now, different people have different deficits. So if I am time crunched, I have very, very different concerns than somebody who is money crunched. If I'm somebody who only cares about connections and who I'm being connected to, I have very, very different needs than the other two. 
great context there is a startup is very money crunched, but someone that's scaling their business is very time crunched. Yes, exactly, exactly. So the thing is, if our message is appealing to the wrong pain point, as we're sort of examining our market, then we don't sell the product. And many, many times people will say, well, nobody wants to buy it. It's not that nobody wants to buy it. It's that you've tapped into the wrong pain. So for some people, if you do a one-day intensive, if they are time crunched, it's not about the fact that the one-day intensive costs $5,000. They don't care about it being $5,000. They care about the fact that they don't have a day. And this happens across the board. The most interesting thing about this for yourself, in terms of your own assessment, wherever your deficit is, the answer to solving it is always in the other two things. So if you have a money deficit, it is directly tied to how you're spending your time and who you're spending your time with. If you have a connections deficit, it is directly connected to your time and your money. If you're spending $5 to go to an event and you're trying to sell a $5,000 product, you're not going to meet anybody who's going to spend $5,000 at your $5 event. Absolutely. I often say, if you're selling Ferraris, don't go try to sell them in the schoolyard. There is someone that wants your Ferrari, but they aren't in the schoolyard. (laughs) Exactly. And if you're a time crunched person, who you're spending your time with, who you're connecting with and how you're spending your money can completely transform your time. Because if you can hire someone who can do something that normally would take you five hours and it takes them one, you have just gotten back a big chunk of your time. If you can find the right person to help you fix that issue, you've just gotten back a massive amount of time. The thing is, you can use this as an evaluation tool for yourself and you can use this as a way to start to understand your market. So when you're thinking about those clients and you're thinking about the prospects and the people that you're working with from an accessibility standpoint, you got to ask, is what I'm describing appealing to one of those pain points? That is absolute gold. I guess I understood all that in theory. I'm always like, are you at the right event? Where are you spending money? Where are you spending time? But I'd never actually connected that the biggest pain point is related to the other two. That is so, so good. And the other piece that I want to touch back on, just because you said, and I want the listeners to really understand how valuable this is, is that if someone doesn't want to buy your product, it's not necessarily about your product. It's about the wrong pain point that I wanted to touch back on that because that is a piece of gold right there. Thank you. So the second principle of accessibility is what I like to refer to as the SAD principle. And if you don't do at least one of these three things, or ideally all three, you'll be SAD, which is solve a problem, alleviate pain, decrease friction. So all too often, when we are presenting our message, we're not thinking from the angle of, am I solving a problem for somebody else? Because we're so focused on our own problem. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, we, we tend to sort of tell everybody about how valuable we are and like what, what our experience is and like all these other things. But it's like, what is the problem that I'm actually solving for the person? Like, what is the thing that I'm causing to happen that makes their life better? And I often will tell people when they want to describe what they do, it's not about what you do. It's about what you do for your clients, Mm -hmm. right? And so, so often people will spend all the time talking about what they do and breaking it down and giving us all the, you know, all the details of that, but that's not what's really helping us. And then alleviate pain. People pay more. We, we've learned this from a marketing standpoint. People pay more for painkillers than vitamins. Yeah. So 
taking the time to identify like what is the actual pain somebody is going through and how am I helping to alleviate that pain is going to help you make the message significantly more accessible. And then the last piece of decreased friction is about the fact that time is this issue that a lot of people that a lot of people have. So if you can make something that is usually filled with friction easier for them, it's much, much easier to communicate that message. So if you're able to tell somebody that you're able to take something that normally takes them an hour and you can fix it in 30 minutes, then for them, that gets rid of the friction. And the example that I often give when I speak about this is this is how Netflix defeated Blockbuster. For those who remember Blockbuster video. (laughs) I would think that most of my audience remembers Blockbuster. (laughs) And the thing is, Blockbuster created a ton of friction. You had to return the video, you Uh had the the fees, you had all these different types of things. And Netflix said, you don't have to worry about stock. You don't have to worry about returning the video. You don't have to worry about getting any, like everything is easy for you. Yeah. So people just gravitated over there. And increasing friction point is something that so many people just kind of ignore when it comes to their message. But there's so many people out there who just want something to be easier, feel like everything just feels too complicated, and they want somebody to simplify it for them. Yeah. So when you start to think in this way, when you use these principles, when you use these ideas, you're instantly starting to think from the angle of how am I making this message of what it is that I do or what it is that I'm going to create simple for people, accessible, Mm -hmm. helping them just get it right away. I love that. So with influence, very, very often, influence is about will other people do things for us, right? So will people share our message? Will they refer us? Will they work with us? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And ultimately, we are more influential when what we offer or what we create makes somebody else look good. Yeah. So if I communicate something and you share it, you are sharing it not because it's the greatest thing. You're sharing it because it makes you look good. So the example that I often use is that there are tons of TED Talks that are focused around the idea of leadership. But most people, when you ask about a TED Talk on leadership, will instantly go to one TED Talk and tell you about one person. Yes. And who do you think kind of pops up probably the most in that space? Leadership, I can't think. But just to put that in a different words, if someone was talking about vulnerability, I would straight away just go, have you seen Brene Brown? Yes. And the thing is, Brene Brown, just like Simon Sinek, who also, who basically is the one that most people mention when it comes to the idea of leadership, right? Both of them create these bite-sized things that you share with your friends because you look good by sharing. You look smart. You look clairvoyant. You look like you have this like massive understanding. And the thing is, what they're doing is they're distilling the information. So that's where influence is coming from because now you take it and you can share it with somebody else and then you look good so anytime you're making it so that other people will look good they will share your ideas they'll share your concepts and this ties directly to referrals Mm -hmm. so if you have a methodology or a framework or something that is very simple i like to refer to this as the magic trick so every magician has a trick that they can show you and then they can show you how the trick is done. Mm -hmm. 
what happens is then you go to a party and you're the amateur magician because you can show it. Yes. Every entrepreneur needs a magic trick. Yes. Where you can show somebody behind the scenes of one of your concepts or one of your ideas because other people will then share it and then they'll ask, where did you learn that? Yes. It just refers back to you. Absolutely. That's why I think um, on that piece, one of the things that I get asked so often is I'm afraid to share, you know, whatever my thing is. I'm afraid to give away too much. I'm afraid to give away the farm. And I've always said, but when you share these concepts, A, you get attributed with them. People know that they're yours. People will talk about them. They'll share them. But also, people aren't going to suddenly think, oh, that's all that person knows. They're going to think, wow, if they know that, what else do they know? So I'm a big believer in share, 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 because by holding back, it makes you look like you don't know much. Yeah, and I think that's straight on. And then the other piece I would even add to that is that every single piece of content that you create has tons of different layers based on what the other people are going through and what their experiences are. So I will have some people who I could spend an entire three hours with them just on accessibility. And then I have other people who it may be that they've really kind of nailed the accessibility piece, but the influence piece is an issue. Yes. And the way that they're leveraging and sort of managing their network is an issue Mm -hmm. and a challenge. And then there may be somebody who has both of those pieces nailed, but when I try to remember what they do, I can't. So then we have to go memory and I have to break down these, these memory principles. So everybody has sort of different challenges. So even if you share your best stuff, there are sub layers to your best stuff Mm -hmm. that somebody else wants and needs because we're all, we all have very, very different experiences. Well, I'll tell people that there is no competition. There's only specialization. Because people gravitate towards us because we specialize, because we do things in a certain way. And I used to tell this to actors all the time because I basically say, listen, it doesn't matter how good you are as an actor. If you look like the director's ex, you are not getting in the role. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> And it's the same thing with our thought leadership. There are only certain people who gravitate towards our style of specialization. So there are tons of people who talk about the principles and the ideas that I talk about, but they don't talk about it in the way that I talk about it. They don't talk about it in the way that I think about it, and they don't teach it in the way that I teach it. So certain people are going to gravitate towards me, and certain people are going to be repelled by the way that I'm presenting these ideas. Yeah. Right? There's certain people who it's like, I don't believe that. I don't buy it. And I serve those people who resonate with it and who gravitate towards it. And somebody else who has a different way of operating, who's a better fit for those people, then they put their stuff out there. You share your stuff because it's like it attracts the people who resonate with your idea and your concept, way that you handle things. Absolutely. Your vibe attracts your tribe. We're not going to appeal to everyone, but we will when we share in our unique methodology and our unique authenticity, the way that we speak, our energy, all of those things, we're attracting the people that resonate with us. And I think that that's a really important piece to remember when, you know, you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. There's already a million other people doing that. Well, there is, but no one's doing it in your way. And even though there might be a million people talking about things the way concepts 
there are people out in the market that may not have resonated with those other million people. They're waiting for you to show up in a way that they can understand, the way that they connect with. Or I could talk about a principle that you could talk about, but in our own ways and someone will go, oh, I finally get it. Yep, exactly. And, and in essence, like we're translators. So there are no new concepts, right? There's no new ideas. We're all translating Yes. The knowledge and the stuff that's out into the world. Like we're all distilling it in a certain way that right. helps people to understand it. So some people, we translate it and they get it and other people, they don't or they don't care. Yeah. It's not interesting to them. It's not exciting to them. It's not, you know, it's, it's not fun for them. It doesn't apply to where they are in their life. Everybody has a different phase where they are. Yes. You know, so it's a lot of the time when we're thinking about putting our message out there and, and sharing and sharing our ideas, there are certain people who it is the absolute moment that they need to hear it. And then there are other people who they maybe tuck it away and it helps them later on. And then there are other people who they've already passed that of needing to hear it or needing to know about that thing or even thinking about that thing. They're thinking about something entirely different. Yeah, because that's where they're up to in their business or their life or wherever they are on their journey. Exactly. Perfect. So then we have memory. So memory, the way I, uh, the way I like to frame it is that if you want people to remember you more, think less. That's L-E-S-S. -S. That's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. I love so, this one. Thank you. So I'll start with language. If I were to say to you, think of a young adult author who has built a massive brand, someone who like instantly when I say young adult author, multiple movies, multiple books, who's the very first person who comes to mind? J.K. Rowling. Bingo. 99% right? <laughs> of people that I that I ask that question to will say the same thing. Here's the thing. There are tons of other people writing young adult novels and uh -huh. have written fantasy and all of those different types of things, but you will be hard pressed to find any who added new words to the English language. Oh, bingo. There we go. No one else is talking about Quidditch. Yep. Bingo. Yeah. So thing with Shakespeare, tons of people were writing at Shakespeare's time, but nobody was adding new words to the language. Wow. That's genius. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time when we're thinking about memory, it's important to think about our language. And do we have our own words for things? Are we coining our own phrases? Are we creating things that then other people will share that could start to become part of the canon of a particular industry or of a particular side of business, et cetera? Now, when you're talking about this language, you're not talking about that very first catchphrase of this is what I do. I just want to clarify this. You're talking more yeah. about using it within our methodologies. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you come up with something that is yours. And the thing is, there's multiple pieces of value for that. The first is IP. Because if you have coined a phrase or broken something down in such a way that it is yours and everybody knows it's yours and everybody uses it, then that can be licensed. That becomes something that has all of these derivative aspects to it. Mm -hmm. So all too often, we don't do this work because this is the hard work. Yes. Right? It's much easier to just take somebody else's phrase or methodology or use somebody else's term 
because we can just rattle it off going back to the influence piece because it makes us look good. Yes. We have to experiment when it comes to our own phrases, right? And some may land and some may not. We may decide to call something something and it may not land. Mm -hmm. But if we can come up with a phrase that catches people's attention and that they're always saying, and they're constantly saying it when we're around or referring to people in that particular way, Mm -hmm. it suddenly becomes a marker for people in memory. They remember us because we use that word. I write a daily email and I have certain ways of basically commenting on certain things that people just like latch on to. So when I see them, they're like, they'll use that phrase because they think it's, they think it's funny. Uh So one of them is I don't say Facebook. I say the book of faces. Uh So anytime I'm writing something or talking about something, I say the book of faces. Uh And what it does is it causes a bunch of people to be like, oh yeah, that's Mike's thing. I spend a lot of time talking about the fact that there's a lot of bad networking advice out there, right? Uh There are a lot of people out there who sort of, you know, big on sort of promoting themselves. A lot of their language and a lot of their stuff is basically platitude focused and isn't really actionable from a networking uh-huh, standpoint. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I refer to those people as an expert. <laughs> and Love I have tons of other folks who then use that term or talk about that term. So the thing is, you can think about your own language and you can ask like, in my industry, is there a new word that I can add? Yes. Is there pathology that I can create? So that's language. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Next is emotion. So what we forget about very, very often is that emotion is one of the highest solidifiers of memory. So if I were to ask you to think about the saddest moment of the, of the past year, you are very, very likely to be able to recall it in exquisite detail. Mm-hmm. You're usually able to like remember where you were, how you were feeling, yes. who else was there, all of these details, like in very, very vivid color, right? But if I were to say, think about the least interesting or sort of the, you know, the, the most mundane thing that you did today, you probably won't remember a lot of the details. Exactly. Because there was no emotion there, right? Yes. So all too often, we leave that piece out when we're crafting a message. Mm-hmm. We don't get people to feel something when we're putting our content out there, when we're putting our ideas out there. But when we do, people will remember it so much more. So if you're doing a keynote, if you're writing an article, tapping into an emotion is significantly more likely to have people remember that piece because they will have that moment where they're kind of reliving that emotion themselves. They'll think about their own experience, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, that's why we use metaphors, right? Because we're really trying, because as someone's explaining something in our mind, we're reliving our own memory and that, you know, those emotions are coming back, that whole energy response, we're feeling it in our body, that memory is you know, really cemented, it takes us back to that moment. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. Most of the time when we're thinking about the message or, or we're thinking about an offer, like we don't necessarily take the time to say, well, what could I write or what could I put out there in terms of content that would cause somebody to feel an emotion that would cause them to realize that this is something I need to know more about, or this is something that would be helpful or, you know, just sort of take them back to a particular place. Yes. Right. And if we're teaching a lesson or helping them sort of understand a concept and we tell our own sort of emotional story, they live that story with us 
so they remember the lesson then, right? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely love it. And simplicity, sure. this is one of my favorite things because I think that simplicity is something that people don't strive to achieve because there's yeah. a lot of complexity in arriving at simplicity. Yes, yes, exactly. It's one of these things where it is very, very hard to boil something down mm -hmm. to a point where people can get it yes. and most importantly, share it. And this has to do with our cognitive ability. Mm -hmm. So our brains can only hold so much information at any one period of time. So if I had told you at the beginning of this interview, I'm going to tell you 15 principles on how to create a referable brand, what would end up happening is most people would tune out. Yes. And they might remember bits and pieces, but they're not going to share. Whereas if I say you need to focus on accessibility, influence, and memory, and it spells the word aim, there's tons, as we've learned, there are tons of things that we're able to dig into and talk about. But the main thing is that people are going to remember those three things. Yes. So very, very often what we tend to do is we tend to sort of overstuff. And I call this the pile of apples versus a bag. So if I handed you a pile of apples and said, walk across the room, you're going to drop apple. It's just a given because your arms are not going to be able to hold everything. And our brains are very much the same way. Yes. But if I give you a bag for those same apples, you can walk across the room no problem and you never have to worry about dropping one. That's great metaphor. Thanks. So the thing is, right, if I give you a bag for an idea or for a concept, you'll carry it with you way easier. And all too often, we have these methodologies and these processes, but we don't boil it down to three things. We yes. don't create accurate metaphor to help somebody understand it. We don't give them something simple yes. to just carry with them and move it forward. And as a result, somebody else creates something simple, even though their product may be inferior. And they're the one who gets their stuff shared. Yes. They're the one who everybody talks about. They're the one who everybody gets and sort of understands. Yeah. Right? And I'm sure so, everyone that's listening has felt this at some time thinking, oh man, I'm so much better than that other person. Why didn't I yep. get that referral? Why didn't someone share my piece of content? Why didn't someone mention me in that social media post? You know, that person's only just beginning, but it's just that it's in a container that or a bag that's easier yeah. to carry. Exactly. And I'll tell you uh, another story, which is one of my favorite about this particular concept. So the song, Hey Ya, uh -huh. uh, which ended up becoming you know, very, very well known and, and won a bunch of awards and all these different types of things. When it first was released, everybody shut it off. Really? And you can see the sort of full version of this story and um, it's covered in The Power of Habit, which basically talks about sort of all these different like styles of habits and it tells all these really interesting stories. And basically what happened was when people are listening to something, if it's not predictable, if it doesn't sound like we kind of know what's coming next, we tend to shut it off. Yes. So what the radio station did, which was the main reason why the song actually became a hit, was they would put a s artist whose music sounded very, very similar, mm -hmm. and then they would put Hey Ya in the middle, and then they put another artist. So they would do Celine Dion, yes. then they do Hey Ya, and then they do something like Maroon 5. Uh-huh. And what happened would be people would actually listen all the way through Hey Ya because they were waiting for the end of that loop to hear that more familiar song. Got it. So eventually, the unfamiliar became familiar. So most of the time, we're trying to introduce our hey-ya 
like we're trying to get people to sort of hear our like super complex, really different, you know, style when we have to start by finding our Celine. Yeah, I love that. I was just telling you before we recorded that I'm reading Brand Story by Donald Miller. I think it's Donald Miller. I hope I got that right. He was talking about that same thing, that our brains are wired to close a loop before we move on. And to explain it, he said, try singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star without the very last word in each piece, in, at, yep. at the end of each. And all of a sudden you, you do it and you're like, Oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that because you're saying, I wonder where you, and then you go into the next bit and you're like, no, I have to fill that in. I have to close that bit. (laughs) I have to close that loop before I move on. And that's what you're talking about. We are unable to move on to the next piece until we've finished that, finished that piece or close that loop. Exactly. Exactly. And creating that simplicity for people, like helping them sort of understand that basic concept gives us the permission then to introduce our kind of new ideas and our sort of innovative types of things. Because at the very beginning, people are, maybe they've been burned before, maybe they've had bad experiences, whatever the scenario is, we're sort of in this early place of, will they trust us? So if we start by giving them something kind of too new and weird and different and sort of out there, most of the time they'll just ignore us yes. and not be interested. Yes. But we give them something simple to understand. Well, now they've got that quick win of they, they understand the concept. So now they're like, okay, yeah, I can take the more complex stuff now. I can dig a little bit deeper now, yeah. now that you've helped me kind of get to that place. Yeah, I love that. Cool. And then you've got structure. Again, yeah. this is something that I love. I feel that <laughs> as humans, we need structure. Otherwise, we feel unsafe. Yep, exactly. And if you think about how we process information, we don't read a book by starting in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that does my head in. <laughs> my OCD's going crazy already. <laughs> we have to start at the beginning and read through to the end, mm-hmm. right? And even if we're watching something that jumps in time, right? Like if we're watching a TV show and it's jumping in different, different types of time, when you watch the show, there is a linear story. Mm-hmm. Even though we're bouncing back and forth, it's not like every single scene is bouncing back and forth in time. Every single scene has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yes. So even though people have pieced the, the, the pieces together, we're still watching a linear story. Mm-hmm. We're still following a path. Yes. Right? So the thing is, we need structure to make sense of pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. And if we have a structure, it's easier for us to remember it. Yes. Right? So structure helps us remember. If I know that this comes first and this comes second and this comes third, I'm usually not going to forget it. Right? Mm-hmm. So I can take aim, right? The concept of aim. Yes. And that gives you a structure, right? But I could also take it and I could say, don't be MIA in your bit, you know, and I could do the same, I could do the same thing, right? And basically, I would still have a structure, but I'd have to figure out how do those principles apply? And how would I explain it that way? So how would I be able to introduce the idea of memory being important at the beginning, then moving to influence, and then finishing with accessibility, that would be really tricky, right? But if I say accessibility, which is a very easy one for a starting point, And then I say you ramp up to the idea of influence and then you cap it off with memory. It's a natural structure for you. Wow. You've just shared so much gold today. I always take notes in my interviews and I am struggling to find little pieces on my paper. It's, 
it would be able to be read by no one because I've got arrows and words going everywhere. And I'm sure that everyone listening is in the same boat and, and probably like me will go back and, and listen because, yeah, it's just so much gold. So, Michael, yeah. for people that have been listening and absolutely love what you've talked about, the, I mean, these concepts are fantastic and they want to stay connected with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so I have a website which is just smallpondenterprises.com. And that's where people can sign up for my daily email. And there's also a link to, I have a podcast called Access to Anyone, where I talk about a lot of relationship building stuff. And I talk about a lot of this messaging stuff. And yeah, I'm very accessible on all of the different uh, platforms. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me on the Book of Faces, LinkedIn, you know, any number of those places and more than happy to be helpful wherever I can. Awesome. And of course, as always, we'll link all of those links up in the show notes. So if you want to head to the show notes, you can just click through and hit Michael's website and all of the social platforms. Michael, if there's one thing that you can leave our listeners with today to wrap up all of these amazing concepts that you've talked about, what is like the one lasting piece of advice that you'd like to leave them with? So I always stick with this one and I think it's probably, it's one of my favorites, which is that the keys to all the doors that you need open are in other people's pockets. <laughs> so, so, so basically like any time that you are finding that something is not working, there are people within your your life who can help you make sense of it. Mm -hmm. So if you're working on your messaging, there is somebody out there who can listen to what you're putting together and give you honest, really, really solid feedback to help you think about it. Or if you're trying to find other opportunities, there are people in your life who are willing to help you, who are willing to support you. And it's just a matter of reaching out and letting them know what you're working on. I think a lot of the time we just sort of try to stay in our silos and we don't communicate to people what we want and what we're trying to do. So I would say just like make sure that you are having those conversations. If you are struggling, there is somebody probably right next to you that has the key to open those doors. That is one of my all-time favorite takeaways. As someone that is very uh, or understands the value of connections, you know, I, I always ask every person I come across, how can I help you? Because whether yeah. I've got a connection to someone or whether I can help answer that, I've never found one person that I can't help by, an and it's always another connection whether I've yep. got the answer or someone else. And I think that not enough people tap into the resources that we've got at our fingertips, which are our connections, which is our, you know, our inner circle, other people. And that if we tap into our resourcefulness even more, the sky's the limit. There's nothing yeah. that, that can stop you. So I absolutely love that. Thanks for sharing awesome. everything that you have today, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Discover how to grow and scale your thought leader's business. Check out samanthariley.global. Head over to Facebook and join a tribe of like-minded entrepreneurs in the Thought Leaders Business Lab community.